to the podcast of, of course, they make me crazy. You know, we grew up with a bipolar mother addicted to pills who experienced a lot of hardships. We started this podcast to talk about our experiences with you. You know, you can really start to feel lost and trapped in their world. And we're hoping our crazy, sometimes funny stories, living with someone like that, helps you to feel normal, whole, and happy again. If you have little ones around, though, this would be a good time to pop in your headphones. Our discussions are for adults only, please. Hi there, I'm April. And I'm Amanda. And welcome to our fifth episode of Of Course They Make Me Crazy. Uh, This week, we have a special guest we're going to introduce you to very soon. But you know, last episode, we mentioned that our mother was addicted to painkillers and a variety of other meds and that she gave Amanda her first pill, which led to Amanda's addiction. Yeah, um, like I said before, I, I don't blame mom whatsoever for my addiction. She was just the first person to hand me my pill, <laughs> yeah. which led me down a long, hard road recovery. And I guess, Eric, uh, you're always in recovery, right? When you're an addict? You always are. It's yep. it's not about the, the 20th drink or the 20th pill. It's that first one. We're going to be uh, introducing Eric in just a few minutes here uh, with his deep voice. But, you know, if you've been listening to our other episodes, you'll recall that our mother was diagnosed with bipolar probably at about 40, maybe even sooner than that, maybe 35 years old. But she had a nice lineup of meds, um, of course. But uh, Mandy, remember you had mentioned, what did you find in her medicine cabinet at one point? Oh, Lord. Yeah, you could open the medicine cabinet and there would literally be Vicodin, Klonopin, Soma, Percocet, Volume, you name it, she had it. She did. And our mom passed away about three years ago. She overdosed on meds and she died in the middle of the night while everyone was sleeping. And if you've experienced something similar, then you know how hard that is. Even, you know, you fear it, it'll come one day. You might even expect that it'll come one day, but it is still a major shock to your system physically and mentally if it ever does happen to you. Unfortunately, it happened to us. But uh, for me, there were two feelings going on at that time. One was, how could she do this to us? And the other one was, you know, thank God she's finally at peace. And I think it was a bit easier for me because I didn't see her. But Amanda, however, you were living at home at the time when that happened. Yeah, that was not a easy day. Um, waking up to dad screaming. Yeah. Or yeah. years, you know. Or years, that. yes. Yeah. It was a, it takes some time, but um, it yeah, it was better. a long recovery. Yeah, it's getting better for all of us, I believe. You, me, dad. Absolutely. And, you know, as you've been listening to some of our episodes, we can laugh about some of the things, of course, not that incident, but some of the things leading up to it. But, uh, you know, we're both on Instagram and we sure hope that you follow us at, of course, they make me crazy. But Amanda started following an amazing man, Eric, you heard him before on Instagram. Uh, He spoke to her heart and I'm following him as well now too. Uh, His name's Eric and he's with Driven Industries, spelled D-R-1-V-E-N. Eric lost his father and his wife to suicide, which led him to start a business to help others. And he's joining us today. Hi, Eric. Hi, how are you? I'm good. We're happy to have you here. Uh, So I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Of course. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, Let's start off with you 
telling us a little bit about yourself and more about the your purpose? I would say that I'm a, a bit of a mental health advocate. I ended up in 2015 losing my wife to suicide. In 2017, I lost my dad to suicide. I'm a recovering cocaine and alcoholic addict. And uh, at 13, I was diagnosed with ADD, later on ADHD. I've been diagnosed with PTSD, uh, GAD, which is general anxiety disorder, and MDD, which is major depressive disorder. And through my recovery, decided that I wanted to kind of make a difference. I was a probably not the best human being during my uh, addiction at all. So I figured, you know what, I can, I can repay some of that with some kindness and maybe make a difference in somebody's life. And I mean, awesome. you have a huge following. So people can see you and find you on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok too, right, Eric? Yep. On TikTok, Instagram, uh, YouTube, um, all of them. <laughs> You should follow him on those social medias. He's amazing. But I, hey, I was watching one of your YouTube videos on negative self, self-talk self because I think that truly affects a lot of us. It's, it's hard to, to get out of that at all. You know, sometimes it can lead to suicidal thoughts. Amanda likes to call it overthinking. She's like, I'm overthinking a lot. Um, how do you, how do you get yourself out of something like that coming off of the history that, that you've experienced? Support, support goals and passions. I mean, those are the three big things that I've always dug into, um, that have helped me the most with, with anything that I've had to go through. And I think you were saying something on YouTube, you know, you, you went to your mom first, is that correct? Mm -hmm. I, I learned to start reaching out for help. I mean, I attempted to commit suicide in 2018, didn't talk to anybody at all about it. Uh, the only thing that saved my life was frozen vodka um, because it's not supposed to freeze. And that kind of threw off my whole thought pattern. Uh, and I realized that, you know, people actually do care about me. Um, even though my brain's telling me something different, it's not what reality is. Mm -hmm. And I started learning the, the power of actually reaching out and getting support and getting the positive reinforcement because if you try and take it on alone, you, you truly become alone and you feel that way. And there's, that's one of the worst feelings in the world I think anybody can go through. Yes, it is. <laughs> I was having one of my little meltdowns and I had texted you and you responded back and you, you, you really know how to talk to people and how to help people out. <laughs> uh, when I was uh, feeling a little overwhelmed with everything going on in my health and stuff like that yeah it, it, well it's the cool thing about I mean I put my number out there just because I think the suicide hotline it's a good resource I'll never I'll never bash the suicide hotline because it is a resource out there but what a lot of people don't realize is one it's heavily underfunded and two it's a combined hotline it's actually the veterans crisis line and the suicide hotline so what that means is you have something that's heavily underfunded that takes in two massive amount of volumes of calls. Um, it can take up to an hour sometimes easily to just be able to talk to somebody. Most people will hang up within that time frame. Um, right. the, the crisis text line is all bots and it's bots to a certain point. Finally, you'll eventually get to talk to somebody, but we're in a day and age where we want human connection. I mean, there, there's enough of the internet, there's enough of social media, we just want human connection. And I found that even if I can't respond to somebody's text for a week, that me just responding to their text and knowing that there's some human being out there that's receiving their text and it's not a computer does more for them than what you could ever imagine it does. I mean, that's the power of support. It's, it's no judgment. I don't know who you are. You don't know who I am. And I can listen to listen. That's, and that's, that's what I, that's, it's so, uh 
interesting to me how I can't talk to somebody close to me, but I could reach out to a complete stranger and talk to you. And I felt completely comfortable, you know, talking to you after looking at some of your TikToks and Instagram. And I was like, okay, he's go he's mm-hmm. gone through some of the stuff I've been going through. It was just a kind of like a relief, you know, to have somebody. It is. And that's why, like, I would never be a therapist. I would never be a counselor. I would never do any of that because even when it comes to them, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge pro therapy person. So don't, so don't get me wrong. But I mean, when you do go to your therapist, you don't, you don't relate to your therapist. Your therapist isn't there going, Oh, wow. Okay. So you've struggled with this. You know what I did too. Here's what I found out. What have you found out? And you actually have a conversation on an equal level. Um, And a lot of people will shut down because of that. I mean, once you realize that, holy crap, you know, this person can kind of relate to me. Like they've went through a lot. I've went through a lot. We have a lot of things, you know, in common. It's easier to share. And you don't feel so judged. Yeah, exactly. Judged by that person. So. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I've you know, I, I'm not in Mandy's shoes. I, nor am I in your shoes, Eric. So I think when it comes to, for instance, Amanda talking to somebody about that kind of stuff, um, I'm probably not her person because I cannot relate. You know, I just know that what I've experienced living with mom and, you know, living with her at certain times. And, um, and so that's the way I relate you know, to people is, is experiencing living with them and loving them and seeing their struggles, but not really feeling and knowing what's going on inside their hearts and their brains and their bodies. Mm-hmm. And, and just on the same, you know, lines of that, there was a graphic on your Instagram uh, that you posted that said the worst part of having a mental illness is people expect you to behave as you don't. And I really liked that because there were times that I felt that way about my mom, you know, I felt, and I'm sure Mandy did too, which made me feel Mm -hmm. guilty. It's like, why the hell can't she behave the way she did before bipolar and before she got on all these, you know, these drugs? Well, it's a hard one though, too, because it's a catch 22. Um, And it's a catch 22 because even like with me, I can't, I can't use my mental illness to be a victim. I can't use my experiences to be a victim. I, for, for me to lay in bed and say, you know, I'm not going to do anything today because my wife and my dad committed suicide or I'm really badly depressed. I'm not going to do anything today and I'm going to blame it on that. All it does is victimize me and it sets that stigma for mental illness. But, you know, when I'm struggling and maybe I have a meltdown, you know, it, it's okay. And it's okay to have that. It's okay to say, yeah, you know, I struggle with depression and it was nothing you did. I just happened to have a meltdown. Um, so it's kind of finding that, that healthy balance between the two of not playing the victim, but then also owning it and being able to be open with it and share about it and going, yeah, I'm not wired the same as everybody else. And I've learned not hide, like not hiding my anxiety. I used to hide, you know, trying to hide my shaking of my hands. Unfortunately, I think I got mom's genes with the shakiness, and I have social anxiety, so I don't feel like I'm being judged. Oh, what is she on drugs? Because we're shaking so bad. You know, it's you know you don't. I've dealt with it so much, but I don't hide it anymore. I just say I have bad anxiety. Mm -hmm. no and I used to be the same way I mean I I used to shake really bad but mine was more drug induced I was I would drink about 
uh, three fifths of vodka a day, and I do one to two eight grams of, or eight balls of Coke a day. So, I mean, oh. to give you an idea, I mean that's almost eight grams of Coke a day because eight balls three point five grams roughly. And that's a lot of alcohol, and I did that for pretty much like a year straight. And so, if I didn't drink at all and I missed when I would normally start, I would start shaking. I would start detoxing that quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was always my sign of like, oh no, I, I need to, to start drinking really fast because I'm detoxing because people would be like, hey, your hands are shaking kind of bad and be like, oh, they are. Let me fix that real quick. <laughs> oh, no. Eric, how do you, like when you were going through all that, what was the one thing that somebody like myself could have done to help you? Or was Um, there just a time you had to come along and say, it's time for me to help myself with the addiction. Yeah. Um, that's up to the, that's, that's the hardest thing I get asked a lot because I do a lot with addiction. I'm also very involved with, um, some large YouTube channels that are based on addiction Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's the hardest thing to tell like a family member or a parent because I get reached out a lot and they say, Hey, you know, my mom's an addict or my sister's an addict. What do I do to help them? And it's like, you absolutely nothing. And you let them hit rock bottom as quickly as you can. And you hope to God that they live through it. I believe like to be able to get clean on whatever, what person is whatever on that person has to want to get clean, to be able to get clean and stay clean exactly and that that's the case and that's where it's it's so hard on families because they don't understand addiction like i tell them to go to elanon like if you want to help yourself go to elanon you'll learn the difference between support and enabling because the worst thing that you can do is enable somebody i mean i i a very good friend of mine his daughter i helped her get sober she ended up uh relapsing uh like four years later it was and i didn't even know about the relapse and he ended up calling me and I found out, well, he ended up kind of enabling his daughter and she ended up dying of an overdose. Oh, um, wow. cause that's the reality of addiction. I mean, it's up to the yeah. addict to want to get sober. It's it, nobody else can change their mindset on it. Yeah. The, I mean, the more that you're fed money or handed money or, or, or given stuff that you should be handling yourself, it, it just, all it does is fuel your addiction more. Yep. Very true. I, in one of our episodes, we talk about enabling, and me and my father were, we weren't, we were enablers, but we were doing it to try to get a little bit of peace of mind, peace of mind with our, with my mother, with asking, you know, my Sheila, go bug my dad and say, can you give me another pill, you know, I need another pill, you know, and sometimes mm-hmm. he would just give in to her just to get that little bit of peace instead of that fight that she was going to put up for that extra pill <laughs> that she wanted. No, exactly. It's, it's, it, I mean, addiction is one of the ugliest, most horrible things you can ever witness somebody go through. Don't wish any of that on my worst enemy. No. And I mean, it's, it's one of those hard things too. Cause a lot of times people don't understand. I mean, it's nothing that anybody did. I mean, there is research that, I mean, it scientifically proves that it is genetic. Um, and it, it's hit and miss who's going to end up getting it. But the worst part is, is if you don't understand addiction, you don't under, you don't know what to do. And, and, you know, there's a lot of parents and stuff out there, family members out there that are like, well, they think they're helping the the person, but they're actually causing them to be even a heavier addict. Yeah. Uh, and, and they don't realize that. And yeah, it's painful to watch them withdrawing and to pretty much, I mean, sometimes you have to cut them out of your life. doesn't mean that, I mean, once the addict is sober, 
you know, it's okay to let them back into your life. But I mean, sometimes you have to do some really hard decisions in the best interest of everybody. And Very letting true. them back in, letting them back in, how does that look normally for, for maybe somebody like yourself or your clients? Uh, it, it depends. I mean, with, with me, I mean, when I went through and made my amends to every people I, or everyone, I've had people who told me, you know, go to hell. Mm-hmm. And I didn't blame them. I, I couldn't, I mean, all I could do is say, Hey, I am sorry for, for what I did. Here's what I've done to change who I am as a human being and, and apologize for my actions. But also to an extent, I have to remember that's all I can do. And not everyone will accept that apology and that's okay. It kind of comes down to, I mean, anybody that's out there struggling to, to reach out for help that, you know, whether it is addiction or whether it's mental illness or whether you feel alone or whether you lie to your doctor and you tell your doctor every time you go to a therapy appointment that you're fine or that you're taking meds and they're not even working, but you're telling the doctor that they are, you know, just, just be open and honest about what you're going through and you'll actually get the help that you need. Absolutely. And what's that website, uh, Driven Industries website? Uh, it's rudr1vn.com. You got it. All right, Eric. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on with us. Absolutely. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Those of us living with people suffering from mental illness have a lot to deal with too. They're not the only ones hurting. We hurt for them and we carry their burdens because we love them. We're not social workers and we don't have any professional training. We're just two girls who have lived through some things too. And we'd love to hear your story as well. Let's build a community. Email us at, of course, they make me crazy at gmail.com.